Hello. Hello. to Three Stooges Throwback, the comprehensive, encyclopedic compendium of all things Three Stooges. From woman haters to sappy bullfighters, from Curly to Shemp, and even to Joe. I am your host, Gabriel Russo, and I'm looking at all 190 shorts produced for Columbia Pictures by the Three Stooges comedy team. That's right. Welcome to the show. This will be a good one. At least, a good short, that is. The 15th short is a classic. This is Disorder in the Court. I watched this one on YouTube this time. I used IMDB and Wikipedia, as well as threestooges.net, all for my research and for compiling my notes. This short was filmed April 1st through the 6th, 1936, and released May 30th, 1936. So, releasing a month later, more or less... The, the previous short, Half Shot Heroes, filmed March 18th to the 30, to the 21st, rather, and released April 30th. I just, I just am getting into looking at how much time off they had in between. So that was released April 30th. This one was released a month later, May 30th. They had like two weeks off or so between. Just out of curiosity, I just looked. So the runtime on this one is 16.37. Like I said, I watch this one. Usually the Daily Motion are the ones that I watch because they're closer to the original runtime. But this one on there was uh, just from Screen Gems, which is the television re-releases. And I like to watch the originals more so because they might be changed for television. And evidently, a lot of them are. This one has a different opening. It says Columbia Presents. This also has a different order for the boys, Curly, Larry, and Moe. It's got to be because Curly was standing out more with audiences and he was becoming more of the star, evidently. The uh, producer for this one is Jules White. And the director, once again, is Preston Black. Remember, that's Jules White's brother, Jack White. <laughs> Story and screenplay for this one is by Felix Adler, who we've, uh, we've seen several times. He wrote six features. Four for uh, Laurel and Hardy, and two for Abbott and Costello. The rest of his work was shorts. Evidently, he was a super friendly guy, lived in the Hollywood Hills, and everyone loved him. He would invite beachgoers into his house for refreshments. Um, That's pretty interesting, I thought. They said online that he lived in kind of a storybook house. He got his start with Max Sennett Studios, starting uh, writing with for Harold Lloyd. I found a newsletter online, speaking of his house, and Felix Adler in general, a newsletter called Hollywoodland.org, and it had an interview with the homeowners today of the house. People who own the house now, their grandmother was the second owner of his house. When they moved in as children, the homeowners today moved in in 1961, and they were cleaning out the house, and there were pictures. I guess he didn't have a family, and so when he passed away, all the stuff was still in the house. And so there were pictures of Felix Adler with Charlie Chaplin, with various other stars of the day, and there were letters apparently begging the studio for work. The grandmother threw it all away, which is kind of sad. I mean, imagine the, you know, just the collectability of that today. There were no featured players for this one, at least credited, But we definitely see Bud Jameson and Harry Semmels as the defense attorney and the district attorney, respectively. We see Solomon Horowitz, who is the father 
of Moe, Curly, and Shemp. He is in the gallery of the courtroom. And we've got Susan, or Suzanne rather, Suzanne Karen. She plays Gail Tempest, the uh, dancer in this. She was a dancer and a B-movie actress. She did all genres through the 30s and 40s. And that pretty much, that was there wasn't a whole lot on her online. So this short opens in a courthouse. It's the murder trial. Gail Tempest is on the stand. She is protesting her innocence. Bud Jameson gets up. He's making his speech about how the jury is uh, intelligent, broad-minded, you know. And they cut to the jury, and they're all either asleep or cross-eyed or mouth-open, slack-jawed looking. So uh, that was kind of funny. The three main witnesses for the trial are Howard Fine and Howard. But when we look for them, they have left a sign saying they've gone to lunch. So Bud Jameson runs out to get them. Mo and Larry are, uh, there. there's a crowd around them. I thought they were throwing dice. Mo and Larry are playing tic-tac-toe, and Curly is playing jacks. So they run back into the courtroom. They all go through the gate. Bud Jameson, it's locked. He can't open it. So he jumps it, very light on his feet. Curly tries to jump it and falls over. Everybody laughs at him. Uh, he says, you know, the judge says something about having some decorum or, you know, be, be careful, blah, blah, blah. And Curly says, sure, judgy. Which is pretty funny. Curly does the machine gun bit with the with the hat I mentioned in the last episode with the bowler, and he points his cane, and that keeps Bud Jameson back. <laughs> so they swear Curly in. It's the famous bit where it's uh, take off your hat, raise your right hand, put your left hand here, <laughs> and then the and then the guy uh, James C. Morton plays the um, stenographer. He's swearing in Curly, and he says, uh, you know, he's talking too. He talks too fast. You swear to tell the whole truth, do not about the truth. Curly says, he's talking pig Latin. And the judge says, do you swear? And he says, no, but I know all the words. That's pretty funny. Curly takes the stand. Uh, they tell him, rather, you know, take the stand. Curly just picks up the chair. Where do I put it? Finally, he sits down. He falls over. Mo gets mad at him. You can tell when he falls over, it's a, a stunt double. He falls over, and when he gets up, he says, I'm a victim of circumstance. So Larry hits him. Larry gets mad at Curly and smacks him. Mo says, who are you hitting? And he stands up for Curly, and Curly appreciates, and then he turns around and whacks Curly. So Curly eventually he sits down again in the, uh, in the stand, and uh, Bud Jameson walks up to cross-examine him, and Curly's still nervous. He takes his hat off and raises his right hand. He's like, oh, what? I don't want to get hit again. While he's being cross-examined, Mo and Larry are playing tic-tac-toe on a chair. Harry Semmels sits down in the chair, and uh, the chalk transfers to his butt, where they kind of shrug, and they continue playing. It looks like Larry tries to wipe it off, but then they decide to, to continue playing on his butt with the chalk. He turns around and says, you know, like to glare at him, and Mo says, what comes after? You know, they do kind of a small talk off to the side, kind of a bit like where, you know, oh, we're not doing anything. They're innocent, you know. He says, what comes after 75? And Larry says, 76. And he says, that's the spirit. Just a dumb little gag, I thought. But, it, you know, hey. Curly calls the judge, um, my honor. They keep saying, you know, call him your honor. Address him as your honor. And Curly calls him my honor. Semmel says, call him your honor, not my honor. Curly says, why? Don't you like him? Curly is uh, telling everyone what happened, and he uses the slang of the day. He says, uh, 
that they're musicians, and they were uh, tearing some hot swing music. And for Gail's dancing, she's uh, she's swinging the fans. For Cock Robin, he's having a he's inhaling a bottle of hooch. He says, which obviously he's drinking. When in comes a hoofer, Buck Ring, shaking his tootsies, and everyone's confused. He says, "Don't use the vernacular." He's holding his hat. He says, "Vernacular? That's a derby." He thinks he's talking about his hat. Which I would have called a bowler. I don't know the difference between a bowler and a derby. Evidently, there's some difference. Anyway, he says, talk normal. So uh, Curly says, well, instead of that, hey, Judgy Wudgy, instead of that, let us act it out for you. And they go to, uh, they get their instruments. Meanwhile, Gail Tempest stands up. She strips her dress off, and she's got a little onesie dancing number on. Everybody's enjoying that. Everyone sits forward in the jury. The stenographer sitting there, uh, Mr. Morton, he's you know, looks at her. They all stare at her when she's, you know, she's got just her little shorts and top on. They sit down and Curly's playing the spoons and Larry's on the violin and Mo pops his mouth harp in (laughs) and she starts uh, hoofing. So she's, uh, looks like tap dancing. At one point, maybe she's doing the Charleston. I couldn't really tell exactly what dance. They stand up, the boys stand up and they're really getting into the swing of things. And at this point, Curly has a stand-up bass. He has uh, dropped the spoons and he's got a stand-up bass from somewhere. He's sawing back and forth with the bow and accidentally it gets caught like a bow and arrow and it fires across the room and sticks in the stenographer's mouth. Larry then, he's sawing back and forth on his violin. In one of the funnier bits, I think, he... uh, out of camera, he, you know, he slides the bow real far over and it snags the hairpiece off the stenographer's head. <laughs> it comes back into frame and Larry sees it out of the corner of his eye and he gets freaked out. He says, oh, a tarantula. And uh, they stomp it and they're all, all three of the boys are stomping it and looking at it. And the guard walks over, the bailiff uh, walks over to see what's going on and Mo grabs his gun and shoots it a bunch of times. They pick it up and Mo says, oh, great, we shot five holes in a divot. The stenographer, Morton, James Morton, comes over and he says, I'll sue you for this. He puts it back on and Mo says, oh, superstitious, eh? (laughs) Some of their their sayings don't make any sense at all, but that's just a silly thing to say to somebody. I think I'm going to start talking to people like the student. So we go back to the dancing. She's in front of the jewelry box now and she's dancing it up. Curly claps Mo on the back and Mo swallows the mouth harp. So the two of them start playing Mo, lifting his arm up like a, a bellows. <laughs> so Mo begins describing what happened. I heard, I walked in and I heard what was going on, you know, and, and uh, so he takes Curly to the letterpress and he pokes his, quote, he quote, pokes his coconut in the letterpress. <laughs> he says, the man said, I'll squeeze the cider out of your Adam's apple, see? And a funny little gag, it, it spins back the the... The handle of the letterpress spins back up and conks him on the, you know, flies in the air and conks him on the head. Curly's head is too, too strong to be crushed, evidently. So, Semmel says, uh, the defendant was found over the body with the pistol in her hand. And, uh, the defense says, but it's too hard to pull the trigger on this pistol. It's impossible. It would take the strength of a mule. Here, you try it. And hands it to Curly. And Curly says, I'm no mule. And Mo says, no, your ears are too short. He pokes him in the eyes and he says, so I'm a mule. But he can't pull the trigger. Jameson says, try as hard as you want. It's it's unloaded. He finally pulls super hard and it shoots. And it shoots Bud in the butt where he falls into the jewelry box, you know, hugging the, uh, hugging the ugly lady in the, I mean, I hate to say that, but hugging the purposefully unattractive and older woman where she 
looks at him all, you know, she gives him the eye and says, uh, you know, gives him her address and says, stop by after five o'clock. Such as I thought that was pretty good. So now it's stuck. Now the pistol is stuck to uh, Curly's finger. He can't, he can't let go. He can't get it off. Every time they try and help him, he shoots. So he shoots the ties off of, uh, or he shoots the boutonnieres off of uh, Mo and Larry. Then he shoots the hairpiece off of the uh, stenographer and leaves a streak down the, a stripe down the center of his head. <laughs> so now it's a quick cut back to the, uh, back to the stand where Curly is chewing some gum and they tell him to get rid of it. So he has a little business where it's, you know, he rolls it in a ball and flings it off to the side. I got rid of it. Now it's stuck to Moe's nose. So Larry, in a good little bit, he sneaks up on Moe's, on the, on the gum. I'll get it. He's got a tissue in his hand and he grabs it. I mean, he really pulls Moe's nose off practically. Then he throws it down and stomps on the, the tissue with the gum and he gives a Tarzan yell, which is just crazy. Bats his chest like he's really done something. It's funny. All of a sudden we hear the parrot which I didn't mention earlier, there's a parrot sitting on the defense table in a cage. It says, uh, find the letter, find the letter. And they said, what does that mean? So the boys search through a stack of letters on the on the table. Finally, they notice that the, the parrot has a note on its leg, attached to its leg. And they go to get it out of the cage and it escapes. It jumps from head to head of all of the, uh, everyone in the jury uh, where Curly follows along behind him trying to whack it and knocks out all the jury members. At least the ones in the front row. Knocks them all out with a hammer. Then it jumps on the defense table again where Larry grabs a hammer to smash it. <laughs> it's funny, everyone wants to smash something with a hammer. So it moves and Larry uh, smashes his own violin. and Oh, my Stradivarius, my beautiful Stradivarius. Because, of course, everyone has a Stradivarius violin. <laughs> Eventually, Mo says, we get wet his feathers so he can't fly. Because it flies up onto a light up above everyone. So Curly goes and gets the fire hose, of course. He turns it on and he blasts the guard, or the bailiff, rather. Uh, then he blasts everyone in the jury. The bailiff goes to turn it off and the knob comes off in his hand. Curly finally manages to blast the bird. It looked for a second like they actually blasted the bird with the fire hose. <laughs> I don't, and it falls down. When it falls, you can tell it's obviously a fake bird. But when they first blast it before the cut, you can kind of, I couldn't tell. Anyway. Curly tries to, he ties a knot in the hose to get it to stop. Turns out that the note on the parrot's leg is a confession from Buck Wing that he killed Cock Robin. And the lady is saved. There's hugs all around and they pose for a picture when the hose, it cut to the hose and it's really filling with water because of the knot. And it explodes and that's the end of the short. So this is one of the more well-known shorts and that is because this is one of four that in the 60s, they did not have the copyrights renewed and they fell into public domain. So they were then put on, since they were public domain, they were put on lots of collections of things. They were played in lots of other shows and movies, like in the background and stuff. So this is one of the ones that's really familiar to people. Luckily, it's a very funny one. So that, it works out. It's the only curly one that was, uh, that fell into the public domain. The rest are with Shemp. It was Malice in the Palace in uh, 1949 and Sing a Song of Six Pants and Brideless Groom, both made in 47. So Buck Wing in this one is the killer. That's his name. 
and the Buck and Wing was a dance that they performed in vaudeville. So I wonder if if Suzanne Karen is doing the Buck and Wing like for her dance, if that's part of it. Interesting little tidbit, the uh, the hat bit, you know, put your right, take off that hat, put your right hand, hold up your right hand, put your left hand here. Uh, that's taken nearly word for word from a Buster Keaton picture made in 1931 called Sidewalks of New York. Jules White directed that picture as well. I wonder if he wrote it and then just used it again in this Stooges short, or if he just remembered it so fondly that he was like, hey, let's just throw this in, you know. So Cock Robin is the uh, the victim in this. He was murdered. We don't mean him. The name of that is an allusion to a nursery rhyme from 1744, Who Killed Cock Robin? Just a little interesting, you know, another little tidbit. Larry is the only stooge in this one who does not testify. He doesn't have to take the stand, so maybe he didn't see anything. (laughs) Mo, when he testifies, he is not sworn in, so they only do the one swearing in. Like I said, there are tons of uses of this short in the in other shows and uh, various other media and released on a bunch of collections of Stooge shorts and whatnot. It's one of the ones that was colored also. People aren't too fond of the colored versions, the colorized versions. My wife, who is a teacher, she uses, uh, she shows this just for fun. She shows the part, the hat bit where it's raise your right hand and, you know, where Curly is sworn in just because the kids really enjoy that part. So she always shows that when they cover, you know, trials and law and courtroom stuff just to make them all laugh. And she says every year, she says they just love it. The the kids love it. So that's kind of fun that even after all these years, because we're going on, what, 36? We're going on 85 years ago at this point. Amazing. So this one gets uh, on threestooges.net, got 9.35 eye pokes. I'd give it roughly the same, nine, nine and a half. It's maybe my favorite one so far. I'm not going to rank all the Stooges episodes for sure. That would be too too much of an undertaking and too that's just too much for me. So, but I will say that this one has um, great gags, got some several laugh out loud moments, a tarantula. <laughs> um, but so far, I think this one's one of the best. I will say that uh, I've gone back and done this. The best of 1934, I think, is either Punch Drunks or Men in Black. This is strictly just my opinion, so please beg to differ. (laughs) The best of 1935 would be Three Little Beers or Pardon My Scotch. And uh, so far, this is the best one of 1936, but we'll see as we go along. And I'll keep everyone apprised, and maybe at some point I'll do the best of, when we get to the end of the curly years, I'll have a best one from each year, and I'll try and whittle them down and start some controversy by picking the best one. So anyhow, that's going to do it for uh, this episode. That was Disorder in the Court. Come back next episode for A Pain in the Pullman. Once again, thanks for listening. Please uh, rate and review if you enjoy the show, if you would. You can, uh, if you'd like, you can go to anchor.fm to the Three Stooges Throwback Podcast page on anchor.fm and donate to the cause but you don't have to by any stretch. If you like to podcast or want to make a podcast, anchor.fm is a great place to do it. It's a free podcast hosting site. I use podomatic.com as well. Their free is great as well, but it's limited as far as how many listens you can get and how, you know, if your podcast gets very popular, 
you use up too much bandwidth. But their paid service is great, and their customer service is top-notch. So that's podomatic.com and anchor.fm as far as uh, podcasts. But there's a million and one podcast hosting and creating sites out there. Like I said, come back next time for a pain in the Pullman. Thanks again for listening. I have been your host, Gabriel Russo. Bye. (laughs) 